Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your new account, go to squarespace.com slash twip. This week on TWIP, deconstructing photography trade shows, how many lenses do you really need, and a neutral density filter love fest. All that and more coming your way next on episode number 140 of This Week in Photography. And we're back for another episode of This Week in Photography. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today on the show, we it's kind of a reunion of sorts, Alex. I feel like I haven't been in the studio I you. in forever. Uh, I'm, in the, I'm in the Twit Cottage with Alex Lindsay, who is running the Wheels of Steel. Here I am. It's not really a wheel. There's no wheels. There's a, there's a slider, though. There is a slider. It's got to count for something. I did download a new uh, iPhone application, and this is completely... Did it have wheels of steel? It had wheels of steel on it. It's called, and get this, uh, listeners, it's called Baby Scratch. <laughs> yeah, I have that one. <laughs> you have Baby Scratch? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I got... Anyway, not photography related. No. Look, look, at, let's, that. look, look at that. Yeah. yeah. There's a couple scratching software that's yeah. good. Um, and also live on the line, um, is Nicole Young. Hey, Nicole. Hey, it's good to be back. Long time. No Skype. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Yeah. I, I moved again. I heard you I moved again and I heard a rumor yeah. that you, you have an office now. Is that true? Yeah. I have an actual separate room that's an office. So it's, it's really nice. <laughs> Very cool. Very yeah. cool. And coming to us from somewhere in Southern California is Mr. Joseph Lenaski. Hey, Joseph. Good morning. How are you doing down there? I am very well. It is a beautiful sunny day, and I'm indoors doing a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Is that actually really good? Anyway. (laughs) Well, they stopped tearing down the house behind me for the moment, so that's good. At least we won't have to hear that anymore. (sighs) That's good. All right. um, Before we jump into this week's episode, let's give a quick nod to our sponsor, Squarespace.com. Yes, and we'd like to uh, thank Squarespace.com. And of course, this is your uh, one of the best ways that you can uh, you know, build a high-quality website. This is actually what TwipLog is built on. So um, it is, uh, it's optimized for both beginners and CSS experts. So if you just want to throw something up there and uh, you know, kind of organize it and have a WYSIWYG interface and not have to deal with how am I going to host it or where am I going to host it or installing anything, you can do all of that. It's easy. It's for beginners like that. If you want to customize it, if you want to add a lot of other stuff to it and you have the CSS chops to do it, you can do that too. You can import your, uh, you know, a lot of your other types of blog, uh, you know, uh, whether it's WordPress or any of these other ones. You can bring those in and import them into Squarespace. You can also export out of Squarespace. So if you don't like it, you can move on. Um, so it's, it's really, really easy to test. Uh, you can have forums and galleries and there's forum builders and permission access handling for lots of different users. Uh, you know, it's just a, and it's just a drag and drop drop Ajax interface. So it's uh, really really great, and uh, you should check it out. We're using so. we're using it on twiplog.com, and Joseph, you're using it on your site too as well, right? On a couple of them actually. Yeah, I've got my Travel Junkie blog running on Squarespace, and also my Aperture Expert site is running on Squarespace. Fantastic. 
Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, so it's uh, so check it out. Squarespace.com slash TWIP. That's squarespace.com slash TWIP. You won't need a credit card. You can just start building a site and seeing if it works for you. Uh, if you use the, the code uh, TWIP, TWIP, you'll get 10% off if you decide you actually want to buy it. So definitely check it out, and it is uh, well worth it. Very cool. All right. Well, let's let's jump right into it. Um, it's been a lot of trade shows going hey, on. So lately. you went. You guys went. Some, did, did, were you the only one that went? I was the sole survivor. Sole survivor. <laughs> WPPI <laughs> from our crew uh, that I know of. I think. And, and, uh, and so what did you uh, what did you see there? Did you see anything interesting? I saw lots and lots and lots of photographers. I mean, it was uh, the show itself. You know, I mean, it's not the kind of show where you're going to see a whole lot of revolutionary new gadgets pop up that's what pma and and other shows are for but you know i'll tell you you know i've gone to several wppis in the past and one of the things that stuck out or that that's kind of a delta between say a pma type show and a wppi is pma seems to be and this is this is completely subjective right so pma seems to be very technique and photography focused where if you like WPPI, on the other hand, seems to be more business focused and doing so. More so it's faster. not. It's, it's 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 a lot of it is how do you make money with uh, shooting photography, not yeah. how do you shoot photography, and how do you do it faster? And there's labs there to show you, you know, to, these are the latest things that we have put in place to help you make money. You know, and right. action providers, look at these actions so you can build an album faster than right. ever before. You know that kind of stuff. Whereas you conversely, if you look at PMA, it's more of you know, hey, let's examine how light behaves, you know, that kind of thing, you know. Right. So not to say that one's better or worse than the other, but it, it's just that different kind of flavor. And you go there and the crowd seems a little different, too. I mean, I wasn't at PMA, but I've been, been to PMA before. And the crowd at, at WPPI is much more, um, what's, the, what's the way to put it? it? They seem more enthusiastic about just like business and inspirational type things around photography. Like, for example, I was talking to Vinny Aiello. He's a local photographer uh, in the in the South Bay area down here. And he was saying he went to, I forget the name of the photographer session that he went to, but he went to a photographer session who was a famous photographer who was talking about lighting and giving tips right. and techniques. And he said the session was completely packed. I mean, standing room only. Um, in a big room as well. It wasn't like a two-person room. <laughs> so, and conversely, the same guy was down at WPPI and, you know, they were crickets, you know. Right. And everyone was across the hall in kind of an inspirational talk about how to connect with the bride and how to, you know, market yourself and build your brand and all that kind of thing. So that was kind of an illustration of the difference between the two shows. So, you know, TWIP listeners, if you're thinking about going to one of those, going to those shows, just be aware that that's, you know, at least from my perspective and the people that I spoke to, that's kind of how the split is. What was your, Alex, what was your experience at uh, PMA? Well, I have to admit, I didn't go to any of the sessions. So, I, you know, I really spent most of the time in the expo. Okay. So, uh, you know, when I'm, when I'm there, I have to, most of the time, I'm, I'm just covering, um, you know, all the new gear and the new stuff. When, when we go in, we're running around with the camera. So, uh, I didn't really go to any of those. It, it is much more of a technology-driven. It's not as technology-driven as something like uh, NAB. Mm-hmm. Which is even a higher level of you know just heavy pros that are you know just want to know the big video cameras and everything else, but yeah. it's definitely a much more uh, it's very focused on. I imagine that Photokina is probably closer to NAB as far as a high level you know everything you can possibly imagine because there was some PMA still had that 
25 or 30 percent or even probably 40 percent of the booths there were like how to make money with your photography right um, but it was definitely a majority of them were gear and and technology and people showing off their lenses and but it, it also um i think also in pma you, you see a wide range i mean it's it's a little bit of a uh it, there's a little bit in PMA of that consumer-driven stuff as well. So we saw, you know, lots of little handheld cameras and new handheld cameras, stuff that, you know, it's not purely, I mean, I think at wedding photographers, I, I imagine you didn't see a lot of uh, point-and-shoot cameras. I mean, mostly the focus no. was really on SLRs and, and video. how. And video, yeah. yeah. And was there a lot of talk about video? There was uh, mixing a lot with, of talk about SLR, video. DSLRs? Definitely. There was a lot of talk about video. Guess who was at WPPI, I think. I don't know if this was their first time, but it was one of their first times. Steadicam. Yeah. Was that well, they're PPI. going in. They're moving in quickly. I mean, they yeah. they have the Merlin, which we have. We, I have one of those at, at the house. And uh, Merlin and Man, really? I have, I have Merlin <laughs> Man in the backyard. You know, and it's actually wow. quite a thing. Yeah, you know. So, but I have I got a Merlin uh, that I'm still learning how to really tune and get perfect. You know, perfectly set up for the different lenses that I have, and and so on. And so forth. I have to admit, I I tweeted something over the weekend uh, from. Um, uh, you know, the, the, some footage from Afghanistan yeah. that we, uh, um, and, and I think that when I saw that, uh, I really got that I'm, I'm not traveling with regular video cameras anymore. Mm-hmm. Like when I'm doing my traveling, my backpack traveling in Africa yeah. and I need to shoot video, I'm, I'm pretty much, you know, uh, done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I was just like, I, it, you know, it was incredible footage yeah. and I, I just didn't feel like I needed that. So, you know, in terms of photography trade shows overall, um, we've got a lot to choose from, right? We've got PMA, we've got WPPI, we've got Photoshop World, and on and on and on and on, right? So all these, and they all have their own, they're like cities in the United States. They all have their different little flavor, and they draw their different kind of crowds. Um, Nicole, I want to throw it to you. Do you, have you. Have you gone to many trade shows in the past year? Uh, no, I've mostly just been to photoshop world i've been to mac world a couple times mm-hmm. but i haven't been to a lot of them like i want to go they just i find they're usually kind of pricey and it's usually a budget thing for me so yeah but and, and wppi is appealing but i don't do that kind of photography as my primary source of income so um it'd be kind of hard to justify it for me i think i'd learn a lot you know especially as, if a, I as a working stock as a working stock photographer who's you know you're shooting every day and your click each each click of your shutter presumably could equate to money in your pocket. So taking time out to go to a trade show might mean money out of your pocket. You know what? You know when you went to Photoshop World, you said you went to. What were the kind of things that you were looking to get out of that show? I, I'm a NAP member, so I know what they offer. They offer a lot of training about fo- uh, Photoshop, and they also have photography classes. I usually just soak up a lot of tidbits, you know, of how to implement different. Photoshop techniques into my workflow because it's like 50 50 for me. I do the photography, but then a lot of the time, you know, I'm sitting at my computer most of the time. So Photoshop is really important to me. Um, but obviously the photography is, is also important. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Joseph, what about you? I know you're, you went to PMA. What was your feel of the show? You, you went to PMA and then you, uh, you kind of stood me up for WPPI. I'm <laughs> not going to call you out no, PMA, on it. Yeah. PMA, I went to because that was a local show and I went down there and saw Alex and Ron and, and toured the floor. Didn't attend any of the seminars or anything like that. Uh, last year, I went to Photo Plus Expo in New York and that was actually the first time I'd been to that show as a consumer, I suppose, because I had always been there before when I worked for Apple, just been there working the trade show. And so I went for the first time as a regular, you know, regular viewer and I bought the full on gold package, went through the seminars and everything. And it was, it was really interesting. It was expensive, 
But, um, I mean, I went for two reasons. You asked Nicole what she expected to get out of Photoshop World. I went there for two reasons, to get technical information and also to get business information, you know, how to run my business better. Mm -hmm. And I got a lot out of the business side, a lot, a lot. It was very worth it just for that alone. Technical side, I'd say most of the seminars that I went through, that I sat through, it was stuff that I already knew, stuff that I could easily learn from books if I hadn't already. Um, wasn't that interesting, except for Joe McNally's talks. His are always fantastic. That was a lot of fun. But the business side was really what I got out of Photo Plus. I'd say one of the biggest things about going to these kind of trade shows is networking, because I've met a lot of people and made a lot of really great contacts that have actually, you know, blossomed into something business-wise. And uh, so networking is usually a really, really big deal when you go to these, because you're going to see everybody, everybody from all parts of the country, sometimes even all parts of the world are going to show up for these. And you can meet people you wouldn't, you know, have met necessarily met online or Twitter or anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that you hit it right on the head there. Cause you know, when I go to these trade shows, it's like, you know, going to these booths, it seems so archaic to go from booth to booth and listen to the pitches and see the gear and all that stuff. When I could just as easily go online and sit with a cup of coffee at my computer and find out all the details I want. But the, I think the, one of the big points of these shows is the networking aspect of it. Like you said, Nicole, like at WPPI, you know, it's almost like a family reunion. These people from all over the country that you may interact with on Twitter and email and Facebook and all that, but you never really shake their hands or get a chance to have a drink with them. And this one time a year, you can go out and say, hello, how you doing? You know, what, what's, what's, how's business, you know, that kind of thing, and just sort of interact and party with them, you know, per se, and just overall network and build those bridges. I think the going to... You don't like trade shows. I, <laughs> I, I do like trade shows. I, I, I don't go to that many of them. I, it's yeah. mostly because I have so many that are, that I could, could go to. So I try to keep it down to one every other month. I mean, that's kind of the, the situation is, is that I'm, I'm at something all the time. It's not that I don't like them. I just have to be very picky and choosy about which ones. A lot of people ask why I didn't go to South by Southwest. is because they don't really have a floor that I like to cover. You know, the show floor there is so kind of inside baseball. At least when I, the last time I was there, I was just like, I don't know what I would cover. Right. I, I don't really cover in the same way that Leo does. And so what Leo does works really, really well. Maybe I could do more of that. But I think that Leo does that well. I do a different style. Yeah. And because I don't have that and I wasn't speaking, it, it, you know, it, it is it is fun. Um, I uh, I said I just have to make choices about which ones that I which ones I actually go to, and I have to admit that I mostly view most of these as a lot of work. You know, either speaking or recovering it or whatever, and there's not any time to really relax. I do. I will say that I meet a lot of people. I get a lot of business done in general mm-hmm. when I'm going to these conferences, and so that makes it you know worthwhile. And I know that the ones that have that I've been the most valuable. I mean, and I've said this before is like the TED conference is great because it's it's a very unique set group of people and there's lots of time to talk yeah you know the the that's what i think is interesting is there's a temptation and we've done this with seminars and conferences is to fill up someone's pipe making sure that they got enough all their value mm-hmm. out of you know they spent fifteen hundred dollars on uh they spent fifteen hundred dollars on three days or whatever and you want to make sure as a as a conference provider that mm-hmm. they got what they wanted yeah but it turns out uh when we did gear media tech you know we didn't charge that much but we Filled it, just packed it. Yeah. Biggest complaint was people didn't have enough time to sit there and network and talk to each other. So we realized that you know that that is they're both important components, and so and different shows do it in different ways. Yeah, I mean it, we, Joseph and I had that same sort of feel when we did the the Twip Joshua Tree thing. It was right. how do you make sure that you are giving all these people all this value? But right. then conversely, you look at like a TED conference, right. and then what do they charge like ten grand a head Six. or something? Six thousand. Yeah. 
so they charge out of reach ahead. <laughs> and, I mean, I if I was doing a conversation, now granted, it's worth it because you're like rubbing elbows with Al Gore and all these, you know, these luminaries and getting to listen. But it's, it's more than that. I mean, it really is this. It's it, the, the people that that are really well known. I mean, it was like when I was at, I was at TED Africa, and I know we're getting a little off. We're going down a little bit of a rat hole here. Mm-hmm. But when I was at TED Africa, you know, I did get to meet Jane Goodall, and and you know, Bono was sitting right in front of me, and Larry mm-hmm. Page was sitting next to me, and and that, that's all great. But it was the it was talking with the head of IT from Rwanda and the guys that are doing stuff that is um, that is was specifically within Africa. That was what I really I didn't spend any time talking to those quote unquote stars. Mm-hmm. You know that you know uh, yeah. I really spent time talking to the other people there, sure. and that was really what made it valuable. So uh, yeah, I'll put it to the group, starting with you, Alex. What if you had to you had a budget, which most mortals do. And you can only go to one trade show a year as an attendee, not as a speaker. And this is for photography. Photography, yeah. This week in photography. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, as a photographer, saying, which a show would you go to? I go to PMA. PMA would be the to one me, show. Me, PMA. I mean, Photo Kino would be good. That's a big budget because mm-hmm. you got to go to another country. Um, but I would go to PMA. Okay. What about you, Joseph? Mm, Photo Kino. I'd save my money. It's only every yeah. other year. That is such an awesome show. Yeah, but I heard it's it's awesome in terms of it's like Death Star big though. You know, can you, <laughs> can you ever see everything? You know, well it's it's a week long uh, or five days, something like that. So yeah, you know, I, I, you can see everything, and you can have some good beer while you're there, which is obviously always a priority. <laughs> all right, all right, I'll, I'll take that one. Nicole, what about you? I'd still stick with Photoshop World because it's like the best of both worlds for a photographer. You get photography and you get Photoshop, and they they are expanding. They're doing a lot of other things. They have a good trade show too. Very cool. Yeah, I'm, uh, that was a selfish question because I want to know which one I should go to. <laughs> you know, you know the the day job dictates that I go to uh, you know certain trade shows. And oh, granted, there's a lot of overlap, you know, in in the ones that I have to go to and the ones that I want to go to. But it's uh, you know when you go for work, it's not like you're going to the show. You know, you're you can't really see anything. So I'm thinking uh, next year PMA definitely. Yeah, I'm gonna have to take some vacay and go to PMA. We were there. I know. We were having fun. I we were know. like, well, you know, we could have done more episodes, but, I know. but Fred I, wasn't here. I wasn't Frederick there. wasn't here. He was Next year, I will be there right. with my right. iPad. By All, the right. Way. <laughs> All right. All right. Moving right along, let's uh, let's jump into some listener questions real quick. We got lots of listener questions in here. I want to make sure we give enough time to them. Um, I'm going to throw the first one to you, Alex. I think because you actually own this particular camera. Sure. So the uh, the first question is from Dennis uh, Grenier, and he said, I just bought a new 7D, and I understand that shadow depth of field is easier with a full-frame sensor. Uh, I, am I uh, right to think that to produce the same bouquet um, uh, available on the 5D with a 50-millimeter 1.8, I would need uh, a 30-millimeter uh, times 1.6, 48-millimeter uh, with an F4, uh, F1.4 lens. So... So the thing to know is that we're, we're, if we're talking about the bouquet, you don't need to change the the the, uh, the length of the lens. So you don't need to go to a thirty a thirty millimeter. It, it is correct. You are correct mm-hmm. that to get the same framing as the fifty millimeter, that you would need that. Um, uh, you would need that same. P, you would need to get the same framing. You would need to use a thirty millimeter lens um, mm-hmm. or a thirty five. Most people would use a thirty five and let it go a little longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little more common lens. Yep. Uh, and you want to look for common lenses. People, we, we had this question last week about why is a 50 millimeter so much cheaper? And part of it's a very common lens. It's mm-hmm. easier, you know, they make them in big, ma- in a lot of mass. Yep. And I do think that I, th- I think that uh, the 1.4 is. I think that's about the right math as far as 
uh, going from 1.4 to 1.8 to get the same. I, you know, it's not important to get to match generally a bouquet. You know, it, you know, it, it's not. It, you know, you're not trying to match it. You're just trying to get good, yeah. get good bouquet. And, yep. and, you know, and and um, so that's the. You know, so you're not really trying to match it one to one. That's probably 1.4 would probably get you pretty close. And for the folks that don't know what bouquet is or bokeh or whatever, bokeh, what, bouquet, what would define what it is? So because they're like scratching their heads. So what is, is he talking and, about? And Flowers? you know, everyone says it in every different ways. It's bokeh or bouquet. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is uh, it is the soft background behind someone. So when you have a short depth of field, somebody, something's in focus and everything else goes out of focus. Mm-hmm. That going out of focus and how that goes out. There's and, and, and the quality of that will be affected by uh, number one is is how short depth of field you have, but it'll also be the quality of the lens and the type of you know. There's a lot of things that it can look harsh or it can look soft, and there's and and the quality of the lens will make a difference in that area. Uh, I, I will say that you know I, I get stuff that I get pictures that I'm that I've been quite happy with with a very inexpensive little fifty millimeter one point eight, mm-hmm. and the reality is is that if you get a fifty millimeter one point eight, you can get a lot of great as. Uh, generally as short depth of field as you're going to want on average uh with the 70 you're not going to need it i mean it really that's going to give you a lot of uh, uh you know a, a good short depth of field mm-hmm. i mean i had a 20d before i had the 70s and the 5ds that we have now yeah. and i kept that one i held on to that one for a long time and yeah. it's got the same frame size as the mm-hmm. 70 and i had i have lots of stuff with really really short depth of field in fact i have a lot of stuff one of the things that i've been really learning to do is get better about adding more depth of field. You know, you know, there's this thing, there's this temptation when you get a new filter in Photoshop mm-hmm. or you get a new lens or you get a new, um, you know, all of this other stuff. You, you have a tendency to want to shoot everything wide open all the time and get that super short depth of field. Mm-hmm. And then you start learning. You do that for a while. Yep. And then you start backing away and going, you know, that would have been a better shot. If I had had the whole face in focus, yeah, you know, instead so, of just the tip of the nose. So right? yeah, so a lot. Well, a lot of times, like with my son, I remember I was shooting a lot, and you'd shoot one one eye, and the and the middle of the nose is already starting to blur, and the and the other eye. And this is on a this is Forget on a twenty D. Yeah. This is a twenty D with a one with a one point eight lens. So yeah. you're not talking about um, you know a one point two on a on a full frame. You know, so you'll that depth of field is already uh, on a on a seven D with a one point uh, eight lens. Uh, or what, definitely 1.4. Yeah. That one's already going to be shorter than most of the time you want to when you want to shoot when you're especially when you're doing something that's remotely close up. I mean that's really when you start thinking about that. Yeah. When you're going further back, a lot of times you want to get the whole scene. Sure. You don't necessarily like I was shooting yesterday um, at the lighthouse on the Marin Headlands. Oh yeah, and uh, which is unbelievable. I love that place. Yeah. And um, just talking about that yesterday. Yeah, and so I was shooting f8. Mm-hmm. You know that you know because I want to get. A lot of the day. Sure. You know, I want to get a lot of the stuff with a in what, there. What, what was your focal length? Um, I was shooting with, it, it was a 24 to 70. Okay. Um, set to F8 and, um, and on a 5D. Mm-hmm. And, and still, you know, I had some, you know, and I had just a lot of the shots were just right. I mean, it was just like the, the background was, was blurred out. Mm-hmm. The foreground was where, but a lot of times I want to see the lighthouse. If I'm shooting the people, it, like if you're shooting someone at a location, you know, you're, it's not a it's a portrait of them at the location. Mm-hmm. So then you start closing that that down to make sure that you're getting people can see where they were. Yeah, otherwise you know, it could be anywhere, right? Yeah. This is really when you're talking about these wide open. Um, and my, my my recommendation is related to wide open, but yeah. but when you're talking about wide open, um, you uh, you're really looking at a portrait. Like I don't care what's behind them. I mean, mm-hmm. it should be nice, but mm-hmm. you know, some nice lighting. But yep. but outside of that, it's not there. So anyway, so don't worry about. Uh, the 1.8. Now, I will say that a 1.4, the 1.4 lens on the Canon, I believe, is a much better lens. The Canon 1.4 is a much better lens than the 1.8. Mm-hmm. It's much more. So, it's much. It's a. Sharper. It's a more solid lens. Mm-hmm. It's a sharper lens at 1.822. I mean, I shoot 
pretty often at the one eight to two eight kind of range mm-hmm. um, with that lens. But it is inherently sharper at one eight than the one eight is because the one eight is as far as it stretches for a one eight one a one eight fifty millimeter. One eight is at the far range of what it can do. At the one four, it's a little bit further in. And it's actually, I find it to be a sharper lens. So if you're trying to choose, I think that the 1.2, unless you're a professional photographer and do this all the time, yeah. <laughs> I think the 1.2 is getting a little overboard. You at, know, I mean, for what one, you pay. At one point, or, or how do you know, and I don't, I, I knew this at one point, but those, those brain cells are gone now. Mm-hmm. But how do, you, how do you determine what the sharpest uh, focal length and can, aperture are for a lens. You can there are you can actually look at guides on it. We'll, we'll, we'll try to find some of those and put them on Twip Blog. Okay. But there are, there's a, a couple guides. What there are um, you can buy these little uh, and you can buy or get. I mean we're just we just ordered the new Lens Align Pro, mm-hmm. which we're gonna uh, start testing all of our lenses on. Yeah, uh, and um, so you can use something like that. There's a lot of little ones that you can print out where you. A lot of people what they'll do is they'll take something that has a text at a certain size and set it at an angle. So it's kind of going off away from them. Yep. And then you can start to, or you can use a test chart. Um, D- DSC Labs makes a lot of good test charts. And you can use these test charts. And what you're looking for is what's, it's not just what's sharp in the center. It's also how it's, the sharpness going out to the edges. Mm. Because what you're going to find is, there's two things to remember there, is that um, the quality of the lens, a lot of lenses will get softer as it goes out to the outside. Right. The center will be sharp, but then you want to pay attention. So a lot of times when you look at a test pattern that, that's used to test this stuff, you'll see that it's, it's sharp all the time in the center, but then you'll see it start to, as you open that aperture up, you're going to start to see it on the lower quality lenses, you'll start to see it soften. Now, most yeah. lenses are sharpest between 5.8 and 8. So yeah. that's, the, that's when they're, that's on average. Between 5.8 and 8. I'm sorry, 5.6 and 8. Okay. Um, yeah. are the, that's when the lens is going to be, you're, you're generally going to be getting the meat of the lens. Mm-hmm. Um, that's there. And this is, by the way, a lot of this is mostly stuff I learned in video and film, not as yeah. much in, you can still it's photographers still don't think yeah. about it. Now, the other thing to remember, though, is when you're doing short depth of field and you're taking pictures of, let's say, your family, mm-hmm. the thing to remember also is that if you have a, a couple people you know, on side to side to each other, mm-hmm. remember that the distance from the person in the center to the camera is different than the distance to the people, on the people on either yep. side. Yep. And so you can have someone that's in focus in the center and, and, and the entire scene can soften up as it goes further out because yep. uh, on people that are flatly towards you because it's just simple geometry, you know, is that, is that, you know, that, that distance is going to be shorter. So, so lots of things about... Short depth of field, but but that hopefully that and that answers his question with a sledgehammer. Totally, totally uh, dynamite. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> boom. <laughs> so Nicole, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always interested to talk to you because you're you're out there and you're shooting every day. You're an iStock uh, contributor, and in your you know you're doing you're doing it. So what what you know what is your sort of normal lens that you carry around with you? Is it like say you, you, the stock photographers that I know typically carry a body with them everywhere, a camera body with them everywhere, and they're you know because you never know when you're going to get that that money shot. So what what camera are you carrying with you, and what lens? Well, I now I have the Canon 7D, and I, you know, I just switched to Canon about six months ago, and when I got that, I got the 24 lis and that's pretty much. The majority, I use that for the majority of my stock work right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really need anything extremely fast. Like I also bought the 70 to 200 F4 LIS. Yep. And I had people say, well, why didn't you buy the 2.8? Well, like what Alex was saying, when you're photographing a person, you don't want, you want both of the eyes to be in focus. You know, yep. they're usually not going to be looking straight onto the camera. So you want both eyes to be in focus. And if you 
push it all the way down to 2.8, then, you know, especially if you're at 200, you have the compression factor, so you have even more shallow depth of field. So, you know, it's, it's important for me that I have uh, the full, full face and focus. Yeah. And especially and with what I do, I'm usually working in controlled lighting environments, whether I'm photographing people or food. I have, I, you know, I, I can put it on a tripod or I'm actually using lights. So I don't need, you know, I don't do uh, event photography or wedding photography where I'm not sure what my environment's going to be. So I, I can live with a f- F4 at the widest aperture for my lens. So right. You just need to make sure you have a really sturdy tripod, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Joseph, what about you? What's what's your walk around lens when you're when you're in travel junkie mode and you, you can't carry that much stuff with you? What do you take? Um, you know, it used to be the 2470 2.8 was my walk around lens, but lately I've been just carrying the 51.2. I just love that lens so much. It's, uh, it's just an incredible image out of there. And I don't, I find that I don't mind not having the zoom. Obviously it's a bit more restrictive, but I find, you know, I did it about, God, I guess it was two years ago. Um, I went on a trip and I took just that lens with me as kind of a, a little bit of self-education, just a self-discipline, see if I could get by with just the one fixed focal length lens. And, you know, you find that you shoot different, right? You, you have to move a bit different than you normally would. You can't just stand in one place and zoom. You actually have to take a couple steps forward or back. And, yeah, it does mean that sometimes you miss a couple shots. But overall, uh, the experience I found great. And I kind of continue with that through this day. That's usually the lens that I have on the body. I completely agree. I think that it's an excellent exercise for someone who, uh, I mean, obviously, when you're working, you're working. But if you're taking a lot of photos, to take just put the 50 millimeter on for uh, – for one month or two months when you're just shooting. I mean, literally like a long period, not like a day of shooting, but like a long period of time. Just go out and shoot and only shoot with a 50. And I did that for six months. And yeah. it just changes the way you think about stuff. And you and you want to come back to that pretty often. Yeah, I, 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 I totally agree with both of you. I think it's... You folks that I think money can can have a detrimental effect on your photography because if you can afford every lens known to man, that means you will never become intimate with any of those lenses. Right. And that's what you want to do. I mean, you want to you want to know like with a 50 how it's going to behave and how many steps you need to be away from a certain just intrinsically in your head, like a second nature. How many steps I need to be away from that person in order to make the background look like this or with a zoom lens with almost an infinite range of focal lengths in there. Um you want to know what's going to happen when you do certain things with the lens, whether it's at this f-stop and I'm at this this focal length. What's the kind of image I'm going to get? You know, and if you have dozens and dozens of lenses or you know groups of lenses, you're never going to get that relationship with your lenses, so that your brain makes those those ties between when I do this and click, I'm going to get this effect versus that. But you know. Maybe that's just me because I don't have that many lenses. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's my story. I'm sticking to it. That's me. You know, now, now next, next year I'll have a bunch of lenses and I'll be like, oh, you need as many as you can possibly get. <laughs> right. All right. Question number two. I'm going to throw it over to Joseph. All right. Question number two. Mark Bodie asks, I'm not the morbid type. <laughs> it's a nice opening. <laughs> um, but a thought crossed my mind today. What's going to happen to my pictures once I pass? Should I make arrangements for a family member to become the guardian for future generations or even leave them in a will? And would love to find out what you guys think and or what plans you've made, if any. Well, I suppose uh, since I plan to live forever, I haven't actually made any arrangements for that. But <laughs> best laid plans. Um no, I think it is a good idea. If, if you're – well, someone like Nicolzi who is selling images, um, you know, making a living selling the images, that's a very, very clear thing to do. You definitely should be leaving those in a will to someone who can take over those and continue to profit from them 
once the uh, once you pass on. Um, yeah, I clearly should do the same. I think anybody who has copywritten images should probably consider doing that. I would imagine that the default, if you don't do anything, is simply to get passed down to your family, but I actually don't know. Hmm. Um, Nicole, so, so it, it's Nicole what, do you, what do you think about that? I mean, you know, you're, I, I, would, I would think you'd live forever, but, you know, chances are <laughs> you won't, but your photos will outlive you. And because they're on iStockphoto.com, they're 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 will be generating income presumably after you're long gone how who gets that money well i think you know like they said you'd probably need to put it in a will which i have done i think i still need to update it but um put it in a will and you know there's been a lot of forum threads within iStock about this and i don't know if i've ever heard an actual answer from anyone that works with iStock but uh my guess and my understanding is that if someone were to pass they could pass on the copyright to, you know, whoever's listed in their will or whatever. And basically their account would freeze. So they mm-hmm. would still be generating income, but they probably wouldn't be able to continue working with the account. But, you know, that's not an official answer. I don't know for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know anyone who this has happened to yet. It's, you know, cause iStock's only been around. I think they're celebrating 10 years in, you know, a few weeks or so. Yeah. So it's, you know, I'm sure that it has happened, but not anyone that I know who makes a significant amount of money. It's probably not something they would publicize anyways. Sure. It seems like, it seems like, I mean, that's a, a, a deeper problem in terms of just this generation, uh, the online generation, because, like when when a person- there are companies that are building up like there are companies now that 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 are like you can put all the stuff in that will literally tell everyone when you passed close that's everything that's what down. I'm talking about yeah there are yeah. companies that actually do that it as a will shut down your Facebook your Twitter exactly. everything everything needs to like there's a, so the, funeral homes need up. to retool to be able to do that that's yeah. actually a good service to add to yeah. that you know as, yeah. as, as your as your funeral anyway yeah and, and I I think of I think more of my my photos and and uh, is uh, one of the things that we're trying to figure out right now my my uh, brothers so there's uh, four of us, five of us now that all have, I think we all have Canon cameras <laughs> uh, of one sort or another, one size or another. We all have aperture. Um, and, uh, and so one of the things we're trying to figure out is how we can, uh, all of us as a group, take the, our favorite photos mm-hmm. and start passing them among each other. Family photos, sure. you know, and, and, and possibly, all, I mean, as far as the personal so stuff nothing, goes. So nothing gets lost, you mean? So nothing gets lost. I mean, what, what I... Uh, what I'm really trying to, what I'd really like to see in, in a program like Aperture or or uh, in a program like, uh, um, you know, that other one, Light Lightroom. Lightroom. <laughs> I was going to say awesome Light Shop. Piece. I'm sorry. The awesome only reason I said light that. Shop. Light Shop. What's the matter with you? I don't. It's, it's <laughs> Lightroom. Was, light Shop. We were talking about how they should call it Light Shop over the weekend because it's like ha- kind of Photoshop and kind of Lightroom. You know, it's like, anyway, so, uh, so that I, I was stuck in rocks. my head. It was stuck in my head. So anyway, so Lightroom or, or Aperture. Aperture. For for us, you know, all of us are, are kind of um, playing. I think what happened was is a couple of us know how to use it, and the other ones just said, "Well, what what should I use?" And mm-hmm. so we, you know, so the um, what I really want is that some way that all of these systems can subscribe to each other, so that online you could just, you know, the idea is that you have kind of like a cloud among the family yeah. that you know, and 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 the way I do mine, you know, would work that way where I have a uh, my aperture library sits on a RAID. Uh, I have this uh, Cal Digit little uh, little tiny raid. Mm-hmm. It's like two two drives. And it's nice and fast. So so it my the, it sits on the raid and then it's backed up to a Drobo, mm-hmm. um, which makes sure that it it's got you know another a, a redundant you know piece there that that makes that work. Mm-hmm. And then the the best photos uh, I upload to. Um, uh, I upload to the cloud. Yep. So I so I have that all uh, all up there. And you so picture frames and all that stuff pulling from your photos, right? Sorry. 
digital picture frames or you have yeah, you have some of those deployed as well right i have a couple of digital picture frames that are grabbing just very very small segments of the amount okay and then i'm i'm actually starting to get into the habit i have to admit i started doing this as a test and now now i've really gotten into it mm-hmm. is it when i do when i'm doing stuff now i'm i'm making books all the time yeah. well I, i've been prepping them i haven't started printing them all but i'm, I'm starting to do this thing where i just turn everything because my uh my my parents and my wife and my parents-in-law and my grandmother are all complaining that they don't because I don't really care. Like to me, I carry it around on my iPhone. I have it on my laptop. I don't really care about the photos being somewhere else, um, mm-hmm. but they do. And you make the books in Aperture, of course. Yeah, so I'm putting together these books in Aperture, but you could do them in any. I mean, there's lots mm-hmm. of there's lots. Here's of an idea for you, Alex. It's tested against. The, there's this new device coming next month called the iPad. Get all of your relatives an iPad <laughs> and just <laughs> let them subscribe to your stream or something, and then, and then they can just the, there you go. No, done. But, but none I, of this I do, paper I, dead tree stuff. I Come do on. think that there's something fun about about having uh, whether you're using. I mean, Aperture and iPhoto both do it. Light Lightroom does it, doesn't it? Uh, books? It doesn't do books. No. no. There's an app called InDesign from Adobe that lets you do books. Oh, but that's so... <laughs> I mean, totally I got to say that... Yeah, that's cute. But I mean, the, the thing is, is that is that with Aperture or iPhoto, you're just like dragging stuff in and you're putting, oh, I want to add another page. And you, drag, you know, and it, and it, you can grab the whole collection and it tries to build the book for you. Yeah. You know, and so, so then you and then you sit there and kind of reorganize it all. It's really easy. Like I, I started going through all the behind the scenes for one of the film shoots that we worked on. And I'm just going to make a book and I'm going to send it to the director and I'm going to send it to the, you know, like, like, like here's all the behind the scenes shots that I shot yeah. that you might, that you might enjoy. Yeah, there's um, something about that tech. And there's something, behind. you know, yeah. at least for this generation. Yeah. You yeah. know, that, then, then people will be like, you really burned up trees for this? Exactly. You know, like the next <laughs> yeah. generation is going to be like that. Yep. Yep. You know, we don't have an atmosphere anymore and it's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Question number three, Uh, Nicole, I'm going to throw this over to you. All right. This is by, this is from Manning Alzma. I was wondering if it's better to use an actual graduated neutral density filter over the, over the graduated filter tool in Lightroom, or is the Lightroom tool good enough so that I don't have to buy the actual filter? Now I'm not sure. Are they talking about a graduated filter mm-hmm. or a neutral density filter? Graduated, uh, yeah, graduated. Okay, just a graduated density. filter. Yeah. Um, you know, I I'm not a I'm not a landscape photographer, so I don't usually fit this into my workflow. Um, and it's kind of a tough question because I would say if you're really really serious about going out in the field and and shooting. You know, like say you want to make the sky fit in with the, you know, your your foreground or whatever, your mountains and your sky. You want it all to be the same. I'm kind of old school, so I like the graduated filter idea. Um, but if it's just something you're going to do every once in a while, you know, the, the Lightroom tool is going to be a really good. It's going to work really well because I've used it a lot for other, uh, for other aspects in my workflow. Um, but, you know, there's also HDR is going to, you know, a lot of people do that. They just take several pictures of the same scene and then they merge them together it doesn't even have to be a fancy merge you could do it in photoshop so i guess i don't really have a solid answer the uh, graduated filters i think they can be kind of pricey so yeah. you know unless it's something you really want to invest in and you're going to go out and do a lot if you're going to do a lot of landscape a lot of that kind of photography then i guess it wouldn't hurt you know maybe borrow one from a friend and yeah. <laughs> try it out and see if you like it absolutely um, you're gonna you're gonna capture more detail if you get it in camera as opposed to um trying to bring it back in lightroom because if you have a completely washed out sky you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to pull that back absolutely yeah, that's, i think that's the big point is that you, you want to shoot it right the first time and if you are shooting with a graded filter by the way i believe it's graded, not graduated um it, it is going to be more you're gonna have more pixel data you're gonna have real information in your sky as opposed to a blown out sky that you're trying to pull back in and the overall result is going to be better but it does require that you have pretty much perfectly straight horizon line 
right? Because if you have a, a building in the way, then that building is going to hit the gradation as well, which you may not want. So you know, doing multiple shots and sandwiching them, doing a little HDR, just a little bit of compositing in Photoshop may be the way to go. Yeah. And um, before we get to the guy in the back of the room that's raising his hand here, uh, just for the folks that that may not know what a graduated or gradated neutral density filter is, essentially it is a filter that goes in the front of the lens that could either, uh, in the case of a neutral density filter, it just has a... Uh, some of them, I think they so started like, like a third it, of a stop, as if, right? It's as if you had a neutral density and then nothing. Yeah, and neutral density and is just, just it holds the, the exposure back from a part of the exposure, from a part of the the uh, film plane, and it's less at the bottom. So, you know, you might have 0.3 stops of exposure reduction at the top of the frame, and then at the bottom, it's zero. So you have this gradient that you can put on the front of your camera. I mean, you put it at a, you aim your camera at a scene, like, say, you know, the Bay Bridge or the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, it would darken, have the effect of darkening the sky while letting the bridge at the bottom of the frame remain exposed properly. Um, but, you know, like Nicole was saying, the issue with that is uh, once you do that, you've you've permanently altered those pixels and you can't, you know, do anything later to those. So it's it's best to get your exposure right. And then if you want to make any tweaks to it, I think you want to do that later. So Horshack so, in the back of the room. I didn't. Oh, oh. <laughs> Oh, oh, oh! So I it's Mr. only because I, it's only because I have to admit that I learned a lot about this uh, when, when we were shooting in in Seychelles um, with uh, we, we we shot with a, I brought a friend of mine who's a, a DP uh, for he's been if you go to IMDb and just search Martin Rosenberg <laughs> so he's been a visual effects uh, DP for Transformers and uh, Pirates of the Caribbean and, and so he's really he he knows what he's talking about when it comes to this stuff and he brought a matte box you know for this for the red that we were shooting on mm-hmm. and I was like well is the, do we really need a matte box and I was just kind of like this is a lot to carry I mean, it's another couple boxes and and each of the filters for the matte box for red is five hundred dollars just for the fil- just for a piece of glass yep and so. So, um, so and we, we were renting them. We weren't buying them. But the point is, is that, and you have to be really careful with them. And I was like, oh, you know, we're going to be out there in the sand. And uh, uh. so, anyway, um, I have to admit, I was sold. So the thing is, is that he would take a, he would take. Now, this is a little different than what you have with a still camera. But he would have a, you, you have a matte box, and you can set this, uh, this filter in. And then it's got the matte boxes have, and this is what you have when you have like medium format cameras and some of the large format cameras where they have a matte box on the front. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can get a matte box for your, and and you can sit there and move the the uh great the gradient yep you can move it up and down that's cool with a little crank so you can just crank it up and down and so you can just see what you're darkening and what you're lightening and yeah. the issue is is that in most cases i think that you don't you don't actually need this in most of the most of the time uh you don't i don't think you need to have uh you can do it in photoshop you can do it in in lightroom you can do it in in aperture you can do it in any of those um you know fix that this later but when you're dealing with a very high distance between the foreground and the background, you, you really have two choices. One is to capture HDR, which has its own issues um, as far as artifacts, uh, if anything's moving. You know, those types of things can be a little bit more of a challenge. Or you can, you know, having this in your in your toolkit, uh, having something that you that you're going to throw on and be able to just bring the sky and the and the foreground together just a little bit more than they were otherwise. It doesn't have to be a lot. In fact, I wouldn't. I would suggest not doing a lot yeah. it really makes a big difference now neutral density which is another question that we, we get a lot is something that i have lots of those mm-hmm. because especially and why would you use a new, neutral density filter over just going with no filter on your camera yeah so i have a neutral density i have a lot of them because i shoot a, the primary reason that i use a neutral density is because i want to have a certain uh, shutter speed mixed mm-hmm. with 
uh, mixed with a very wide open lens. So for instance, I was shooting uh, my son running around the backyard over the weekend yep. and I'm shooting video. Now, because I'm shooting video, I need it to be one sixtieth of a second, which, and then I also want to shoot it wide open during the day. <laughs> and so, and that those things don't match up. Right, right. So, so what I did is I, I had a 0.9 and then I put a 0.6 on top of the 0.9 <laughs> and, and it was really dark, you know, yeah. so that it, so, because it was, it wanted to be like one two thousandth of a second or whatever, which would have looked like really yep. stuttery frame. And so now I have the exposure that I want. So you can control the amount of light coming into the camera. Yeah. Yeah. Another, another instance why you would want to use a neutral density filter is if you are, um, we've all seen those shots where the, you see a body of water and it looks like smoke or glass or something. Right. In order to get those shots, you have to have a long exposure. So you have to let the, whatever is in motion draw itself on your film plane so that it sort of renders as either smoke. If it's like if you're looking at moving waves crashing on rocks, they become very smoky and misty. Um, or if you're shooting a lake and you shoot a long exposure, the lake becomes glassy. In order to get those shots without overexposing and blowing everything out, you need a long Shutter speed with the neutral density filter on there. Joseph, do you ever use neutral density filters in any of your work? No, I don't. But it's funny, while you guys were talking, I was just trying to remember the name of an old filter system uh, that I used to use way back in the day of shooting 35. So we're talking, you know, good solid 25 years ago. Um, and when, Alex, you mentioned the having the filter holder for the red camera, that's what got me thinking. And it took me a while, but I found it. Koken, C-O-K-I-N filters. Do mm-hmm. you guys remember those little square Yeah, I have some of those. I still have some of those. Too. I never use them. <laughs> Oh my God! This, cool. I, I'm just. I, it took me a while, but I found the website. And I, it's uh, yeah, those little drop-in filters, and maybe I'll have to look into these again because you get that gradated filter, and you can do the just like Alex was saying, slide it up and down and move it's, the, the it's line. It's cool. It is cool. That's all I got. You know, I got to play with this again. You know, yeah. we we got so used to doing everything in digital, right? It's so easy to just take mm-hmm. it to the computer, fix it, and post. But frankly, you know, it's time to go back to the days of you know, don't rely on the computer. Put something in right. front of the lens if you have to get that image right the first time. Don't don't mess with it so much. Yeah, and it's a yeah. uh, it's it's time to go back. I think. Yeah, <laughs> I'm all for it. Cool. Yeah, Start don't, don't forget the other tools. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, let's uh, let's jump into the picks of the week. Um, and the first one I'm going to throw it locally here to Alex Lindsay. Uh, I like to put him on the spot all the time. <laughs> There's something around here I could talk about. Oh, yeah, I know you got I'd one. I'd like to choose a... No, so I actually have. I actually bought something over the weekend that I'm quite happy with, uh, over last week that I'm pretty happy with. Um, what is it? I'm testing a bunch of stuff, but this is the one that I just installed, and I was scared. I was scared to do this. You installed it, and you were scared. Huh? I was scared to install it. Well, you know, a lot of us get really scared about tearing your, your camera apart. Oh, here we go. Okay, right. so here you go. So, now we're going into geek and bill I here. Gotta, <laughs> it, it was much less geek than I thought it would be. So I was bracing for impact. I decided I was going to buy it, and if I didn't like it, I just wouldn't install it, and I'd send it back. You know, I was mm-hmm. like, if this looks at, looks like it's going to be too much trouble. So what I did was I, is I, liked, like a lot of people, like to shoot wide open. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I started reading, and it was one of the things I just kind of ran into by accident going through the 5D manual, was if you have this focus screen... You know, set set it to this. If you have this focus screen, set it. I was like, focus screen? Like, <laughs> Canon makes multiple focus screens? Mm-hmm. And I was like, mm. So I did a little split research. Prism, remember those? Yeah. yeah, so I didn't get the split. So the, a lot of the high-end pro cameras, the 1Ds and the, you know, the, the, they have the split prisms and everything else. So they don't have that for the 5D. Mm-hmm. Canon doesn't make them. Some other people might, and I'm going to do some re- more research on this. Wait, wait. Before you continue, what's a focusing screen? So a focusing screen is... <laughs> That's right. Many of our listeners have never seen a focus That's screen. That's right. So a focus screen, back in the old days, back when I was a kid, 
We used to have this thing in the center of the of of the of the frame that it, you had. It would split. It would split your image, and then when you when it was in focus, everything would match up. And then when it was out of focus, nothing would match up. And then you knew when you were in focus. I think you should do that in your your Billy Bob Thornton sling blade voice. Maybe we should do the whole show that way. What you, what you focusing on that for? What you focusing on that for? Anyway, so um, so anyway, so the uh, so I've been I've been playing with this because I'm frustrated. I do I don't do as much manual focus when I'm shooting. Uh, stills but i do a lot of manual focus when i'm shooting video with these cameras because i'm trying to i'm trying to find that focus really quickly the autofocus doesn't work mm-hmm. you know when you're doing video so and you can't like zoom in and focus it and zoom back once you hit record so you really have to get good so mm-hmm. what i bought was an is a canon eg-s focus screen and so what it is is it it is it looks just like your regular focus screen uh, except that it is it will drop things out of focus much faster so, so what happens is when things are out of focus, they fall out of focus faster. Now, the, the downside is if you're using a higher aperture, you know, so if you start closing it down, mm-hmm. your image, when you're looking through it, it won't be any darker when you actually shoot the image, but it'll look darker to you. So you really have to f- either get used to it or fly by wire as far as like looking at what your exposure um, you know, actually is. Yep. And so, so anyway, so the, um, but anyway, the, I put it in and all you do... It, I didn't know the focus screen was there. There's a little focus screen. When you open up your, when you take the lens off, right below where it would go up to your eyepiece, there's a little screen there. It's a little, and, and you can actually, they give you a little tool and they make it, like they say it like 40 times, do not touch the focus screen with your hands. Do not lay the focus screen down or anything. Do not breathe on it wrong. You know, so it's, so, but they give you this little tool that like just, and, and you think it's going to be this big operation. Mm-hmm. You pop this little this little lever and pop it pops out. Yep. And you put put it in. You swap it with the, this other focus screen. Yep. And I did notice that it was much easier to make sure that I was in, locked in and focused. And it's, it's really designed for people who shoot uh, two point eight or faster. So it doesn't screw with the autofocus or anything. It's just no, it doesn't affect it because it's it's only affecting what you see through the eyepiece. Yeah. It's not affecting mm. the. It's not. A, it's not changing anything else that the camera is doing. Uh, now I'm going to do some research because I think some other people make these focus screens that do have the split. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start playing with this because I really do want the split. And yeah. the splits are available for the, some of the higher end Canon cameras and some of the older Canon cameras. That's what I learned. What I the manual Nikon F3 with a with a split prism focus screen in there. And so those are all. And I love that. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether I'd love it while I was trying, but I find that I'm actually able to focus real much faster uh with it because you just it, it, it things go out of focus faster than they did before Very cool. um and so uh so anyway that's it how much forty dollars oh, it, was, it, it wasn't it, it's not very expensive so it was definitely uh definitely worth checking out if manual focus uh, if something you, if you want to do a manual focus a lot and you want to um you know do that then it's worth it yeah and it doesn't void your warranty presumably right uh, no, no, because no, Canon sells them. I mean, oh, the manufacturers sell them. I thought this was just third party. It's from Canon. It is Canon. Okay, and it comes good. with instructions from Canon. Excellent. And there's nothing that you're doing that's weird. Yeah, you're just popping this little piece out and putting another one in. Cool. It's scary, but it's easy. And someone just did point out that when you're shooting with video, the mirror is locked up and the viewfinder is dark. And I have to admit that I just got it over the weekend. And I've been noticing that it's been focusing really well when I'm shooting stills. And I haven't shot video since I, since I put it in. So I'll, I'll check. And maybe it doesn't make any difference with the video. But it does make a difference. If you're doing any kind of manual focus with a wide app, 
with with the wide aperture and you are looking through that, it does make a difference. And someone who is watching gr- good sound may have just corrected me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, you're not going to have any difference on the video, but it, it does. I, what I will say crowd. is I started playing with it and I started doing the when I'm when I'm shooting and I'm actually doing manual. So for those of you who the video, I may be wrong. I just got it over the weekend. It's not my fault. Well, um, but 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 over the uh, but as far as the the stills, I still do a lot of manual focus with that. Yeah, and. Um, and with the stills, I can definitely see the difference between the two. So, yeah. Alex, is it, is it a lot darker when you're shooting with uh, at like four or five, six, eight? When you get up in those, I did notice uh, it was just a little darker. Apertures. It's a little darker yeah. when you're looking through it. When when you're over over two eight, I noticed that it was just a little bit darker. Uh, it didn't bother me at all, uh, but I but it was, um, uh, but it is just a touch darker. Speaking of video, my pick of the week is video related. Uh, came on a recommendation from. Mr. Joseph Lanaski over there, and it's actually what's behind his head in the background. Oh, <laughs> I think it's that thing that's strategically behind Joseph. <laughs> well, actually, they got yeah, I'm there. Just in the middle of striking a set here, so you know. yeah, it's uh, it's the R- what is that, Joseph? It's the RPS, right? Uh, uh, yeah, RPS. It's called an RPS. Yeah, that's our RPS Studio. RPS it- Studio, and they're video lights that are they come with um, fluorescent bulbs in there that are daylight balanced, I believe. And it's an Octobank soft box that comes with a little little cover that goes on the top of it. In the box itself, I mean, this is like quality stuff because in the box there's two light stands for these things. There's the Octoboxes, there's the the uh, the bulbs and the cover to cover everything, and you get two of them. And it was like under three hundred dollars, I think I paid for for two full on light stands um, or full on light sets. And the reason I got those is because I'm experimenting with. I don't know. Don't kill me, Twip audience, but I'm experimenting with video uh, on my uh, so a couple of Nikon D90s that uh, Borrow Lenses graciously let me play with over the weekend. So I'm just playing around, shooting things to see what's what and what I can edit together. And, uh, you know, those things were lifesavers because I actually was able to get some decent video and light things properly. So. I'm, I have to admit, I'm digging way into video on my, on my DSLRs. Of course you are. You, you, no, but I, you I, were like a pioneer. Come on. I know, but I'm, I'm now... I'm, I was a pioneer of having our people do it at the office. Listen to that. Now the truth I'm, comes out. Now I was a pioneer at delegating video. It's yes, hilarious. I know where we should go. It doesn't mean that I had to lay all the tracks. So, so anyway, so the... Um, this is wrong. So anyway, um, and, and, and I've done a lot of it, but but I'm now getting into like the handhelds and the shoulder mounts and the, you know, we've done a lot of video with it, but not in the... I'm turning this in... Before it was still a still camera into a video camera. Now mm-hmm. it's really like going to be 50-50 as I start going. Very cool. All right. And uh, we're at the end of the tracks. Did, did so we get everybody's... Uh, we can get everybody. everybody picks. We got, I, it was just picks. us. It was just us. Picks. Picks. We left oh, them out. Oh, what am I doing? I'm <laughs> you and I the just people people were just, just like, on you know. the road to get out of here. Nicole, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, we were talking about Photoshop World earlier, and my pick is actually really closely related to that. It's uh, the Kelby Training Seminars, the live seminars where they come to the city, they sit down, and they do a Photoshop presentation. I just went to one with Dave Cross about two weeks ago, and I really, really enjoy them. I've been to a couple of them before, and if you've ever been to Photoshop World or if you've seen them do any kind of online training, it's basically the same thing. They're just there in front of you. And you know, I consider myself uh, a fairly advanced Photoshop user and I always come out, always come out with information that I didn't know or new ways to do things. Um, so I would say, you know, if you want to attend these, they are you probably have to have a, a basic understanding of Photoshop, like opening it up, know where your tools are and stuff. But they're really for anyone, uh, you know, from beginning to advanced user. 
And uh, you can go to kelbytraining.com slash seminars, and you can see if they're coming to a town near you. Nicole, when are you teaching a seminar? Come on, you need to uh, You, you know, to actually, actually at, we have in Utah here, we have an event called Photo Camp, and it's this Saturday, and I'm doing a Photoshop demonstration. And it's if, if you're in the area, it's too late because it filled up in less than six hours. But uh, I'm going to be doing a mini Photoshop demonstration. I think it's actually going to be my first one other than the uh, online stuff. I've, you know, I do tutorials every once in a while. So I'm really excited. Very cool. Awesome. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Travel Junkie, where, uh, what's, your, what's your tip? My, my pick of the week. So my very first pick of the week on this show was, uh, was really simple and cheap. It was black felt from the local... Uh, arts and craft store from the local fabric store to use as a black background to get just a really cheap dark black background. And so I'm going to follow that up today with something in the same vein, and that is black foam core. Go to your local arts and craft store, get a couple of big, big sheets of black foam core. You can get them in like four by six foot, four by eight foot sizes, super cheap. And these make the perfect gobos. You need to, you can cut them up into any size, whether you need a big one or a little one, mount them onto light stands or tape them onto doors and windows, just ways to block light or redirect light. They are fantastic. They're cheap. Like I said, they're lightweight. So you don't have to worry about sandbagging stands down as long as you're, you know, indoors, you don't have to worry about the wind. And they're just incredibly useful and just one of those things you can't have enough of them. And when, when they start to get worn a little bit too worn around the edges, just throw them away and get some new ones because they are that cheap. All right, Joseph, since we're talking to you, where can people go to find out more about you and the stuff you're involved in? People can go to find out more about me at photojoseph.com or apertureexpert.com. And I'd also like to throw out there on Thursday, I'm leaving for Singapore and then Hong Kong. And on the next Monday, I'm going to be doing some aperture training in Singapore. So if you're listening in the Singapore market, drop me an email at joseph at photojoseph.com and I'll fill you in on the details there. And same thing at Hong Kong, the end of next week through the weekend, I'll be there. I'm trying to put together something for my trip there, either a photo walk or aperture training or whatever the case may be. But it turns out that I'm getting there in the middle of something called Rugby 7, which is apparently the biggest expat party of the year in Hong Kong. I did not know that, but I've gotten emails from people saying, I would love to go on a photo walk, but I'll be too busy drinking. So <laughs> if anybody's there who is uh, <laughs> wants to do a photo walk or does want to do some kind of uh, aperture stuff, give me a holler. Excellent. And Nicole, where, where are you at online? Uh, my website is Nicole Z Blog. It's NicoleSYblog.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Nicole Z. And uh, I'm going to plug something. Um, Go ahead. I'm writing a book <gasps> for Peach Pit. Hey, yeah. Congratulations. So, uh, in, yeah. So in a couple months, uh, you'll probably see me talk about it pretty soon here on my blog and on Twitter. And so, yeah. That's hey, great. Nicole, who introduced you to those Peach Pit folks? <laughs> Let me see. I think it's a guy named Frederick. You know, hey going now. back, let's go back to the networking we were talking about with, uh, you know, going to we uh, Macworld. Mm-hmm. I met, met I saw you at Macworld. We went to meet the Peach Pit guys. I met Scott at Peach Pit, and I think that was my first introduction to them. And and lo and behold, here we are. Look at that. Here we are moving right along. Awesome! Congratulations, Alex Lindsay. I'm on the Twitters. That's it. That's all you got. That's all I got. You're just you're gonna be like share pretty soon, right? <laughs> <laughs> just I'm just Alex. That's it. Alex Lindsay. Uh, and I also want to remind the listeners that uh, you want to keep up with our exploits, be sure to check in on twiplog.com or um, check our fan book, our, our fan book, our, fan our book. Facebook fan page yes. uh, on Facebook, of course. And also we're on, uh, if you're local here in the Bay Area, we do meetups 
uh, from time to time on meetup.com. Just do a search for TWIP and you will find the meetup there. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me on my blog at frederickvan.com or on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Frederick Van. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. Thank you.